Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to the Compulsive Reader Talks. I'm Magdalena Ball, and next week commences Read an Ebook Week, where there'll be free ebooks abounding and lots of ebook talk. But because we're always ahead of the pack here, I've invited Smashwords founder, the phenomenal Mark Coker, to the show today to kick things off with a big discussion about ebooks and the future of reading. Mark, welcome. Thanks, Maggie. I've, I've been upgraded to phenomenal. Thank you. <laughs> yes, I'm sure you deserve it. Now, I imagine you've got a, a busy week planned next week. I, I'm looking forward to it. You know, obviously, next week is uh, Read an Ebook Week, and we're one of the um, one of the participants in it. One of many ebook publishers and retailers and author websites who are offering ebooks at um, dramatically discounted prices and even for free. Now, I'm a big fan of Smashwords. Um, I have a, a fairly good understanding as an author and as a reader about what it is, but many of our listeners won't. So before we get into the real meat of our conversation, um, can you just give us a quick overview of exactly what Smashwords is? Sure. We, um, we are an ebook publishing and distribution platform, so we make it really easy for any author anywhere in the world to instantly publish an ebook. So the way it works is you you format your Microsoft Word document, your final manuscript, um, to the guidelines of our Smashword style guide. You upload it into our system and then we instantly convert it into nine different ebook formats, um, readable on any ebook reading device, and then we make it available for sale at the price that you set. And then eighty five percent of the net proceeds um, from any sales, go back to you, the author. And then once books are published at Smashwords, they're automatically considered for inclusion in what we call our premium catalog. Over the last five or six months, we've um, announced distribution relationships with some of the largest ebook retailers, <clears throat> at least here in the United States, including Barnes & Noble, Sony, Kobo, and uh, soon Amazon. Mm. So by Amazon, you mean the Kindle? Yes. We, we actually announced the Amazon relationship back in December, and uh, hopefully in the next month or two, we will um, have all our technical integration complete so that authors can publish directly into Smashwords and then have those books distributed directly into the Kindle store. That's incredible. Now, there have been other electronic book distribution, distribution sites around, some for several years. What makes Smashwords different? Well, we like to think that we put put all the power in the hands of the author. We give the author complete control over the, how their book is priced, how it's marketed, um, how it's sold, where it's sold, um, you know, the sampling percentage of the book that's available for free. Um, all of that is in the hands of the author. Um, and we'd like to think that we're opening up distribution opportunities for authors that previously weren't available. For example, um, before we announced our relationship with um, Barnes & Noble and with Sony, it was close to impossible for an author who had only written you know, one or two or three books to get their books listed into those online bookstores. But we make it possible. Mm. And 85% is a pretty good return as well. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's a great 
royalty rate for an author. Um, you know, one of my one of my objectives when I first created Smashwords a couple of years ago was to um, really put the power of publishing in, into the hands of the people who deserved it, and I, I think those people are the authors. And so we wanted to flip the traditional um, compensation model for royalties upside down. So, you know, for most, you know, big publishers, if you get a publishing deal, um, you'll get anywhere from, you know, 5, 6, 7, 15% royalty on the, on the price of the book. And so we thought, well, why don't we turn that upside down and give 85% to the author? That's what we've been doing now for two years. But, but you also partner with a number of publishers, don't you? I mean, in, in many ways, you're, you're kind of a friend to publishers as well as authors, aren't you? Oh, we're, we're definitely a friend to, to publishers. Um, when we first launched two years ago, our initial focus was on independent self-published authors. And then a year after that, um, so May of 2009, we added support for publishers. And that's been going really well. So now we have over 100 small independent publishers. So these are these are companies publishing anywhere from two to 100 books a year. Um, we've got um, over 100, 100 small publishers using Smashwords as their um, ebook distribution platform. Mm. And you provide and, some pretty nifty tools too, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, all the tools are, are, you know, designed to help the author or the publisher get their book out there, get it promoted, get it sold. Um, one of um, one of the coolest tools, in, in my opinion, I mean, other than the fact that we make the ebook conversion automated and easy, um, is we've got this feature called the Smashwords Coupon Generator. This allows authors and publishers to create custom coupon codes that they can use to. Um, run special promotions on their books to promote their books on you know, Twitter or Facebook or wherever. Um, it's a very popular feature with our authors. Yes, I, I've used the coupon um, before, and I think it is, it is incredibly powerful. Um, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about you know, this whole notion of, of freebie marketing or even discount marketing. Um, Cory Doctorow, who I guess is one of the more famous proponents of it, claims he's been giving his books away since his first novel came out, and, you know, boy, has it made him a bunch of money. Um, do, you, do you think, you know, authors and publishers should not be afraid to give things away? Well, I think, I think they should proceed cautiously. Um, I think free deserves a place in every author's or publisher's marketing strategy, but you've got to be careful not to give everything away for free. Um, if you've got a, a, you know, if you're a publisher and you've got a library of, you know, a catalog of 10 or 20 or 100 titles, then definitely give some of those titles away. Let's say you're publishing an author who's written 10 books. Maybe you can give the first book in the series away for free, get readers hooked on it, and then they'll purchase the follow-on books. Um, but if you're an author of just one or two titles, um, you've got to think really, really carefully about what you're trying to accomplish. If your number one objective is to just get readers and you're not and you're not concerned with the compensation, then definitely give the book away for free because you'll get a lot more readers if the book is free. But if you're looking to create a balance there of you know earning some income, um, you've got to 
think about free a little bit differently. And then there are some, you know, middle ground alternatives to free, and that would be free sampling. And I encourage every author to do that. So, for example, at Smashwords, when you publish the book into our system, you can specify what percentage of the book you want to, you want made available for free. You can specify 10%, 20%, 30%. Um, so that that's a way to take advantage of free without giving the book away. Another thing that I would encourage authors to do is that, you know, now that publishing is moving digital, um, we're let, you're, you're able to publish content that previously you wouldn't have even considered publishing, such as short stories. So maybe you've written a few novels, but you have, you know, a dresser drawer full of short stories. Um, publish the short stories. Give some of those away for free. It's a great way to uh, introduce readers to to your writing. That's a great idea. And um, actually, I've received, as a reviewer, I've, I've certainly received books that are sort of compiled samples of authors, where you get a you know little bit of each author in the book, and you know maybe that's something a publisher could do as well: publish short samples from a range of their books. Definitely, um, yeah. I, I've been seeing more and more this trend toward um, anthologies, ebook anthologies. We just published one today that I'm really excited about. I, I blogged uh, blogged about it over at the Huffington Post today. Um, one of um, our Smashwords authors, Greg McLean in Denmark, he's actually from the UK, um, he was watching what was happening in Haiti after the, the, the devastating earthquake there, and he he himself was emotionally devastated from this, and he wanted to do something to help. And so he came up with this idea to publish an anthology called 100 Stories for Haiti. And he put the call out on Twitter and Facebook for independent authors all around the world to contribute short stories to this anthology. And then the anthology would be published at Smashwords and also available via print-on-demand, and all the proceeds would go to the Red Cross. So he um, he announced that project six weeks and two days ago, and today the book is published. Well, that's um, a fast turnaround. <laughs> it's an amazingly fast turnaround, and this book has you know they they went through a, a semi-traditional process for publishing. So they they gathered hundreds of submissions, selected the best, edited them. Um, he he had a team of um, of volunteers, many of them, you know, professional editors, and they put this this high quality book together in a short period of time. I've also seen um, author collectives sprouting up around the globe where authors join together to publish anthologies or to support each other in the marketing. So I think that's really encouraging as well. Mm. Now um, I'd like to ask you a question. First, my writing partner said I should check with you <laughs> to see if Smashbooks will offer author, um, will offer a blio format at some point in the future. Um, and then once you get onto the blio, I have a question, a follow-on question about formats as well. Sure. Um, well, for for folks who aren't familiar with the blio, it's a it's a new. Suppose you'd call it a new publishing platform or a new format that, that um, allows you to better preserve um, books, the, the layout of books that have complicated formatting layout, maybe you know complicated pictures. 
um, in a way that's visually pleasing to the eye. Um, I've seen the, the BLEO demonstrated, and it, it looks interesting. Um, and I, I think, I, you know, I, I have not had conversations with them yet, or at least not with the right people there at BLEO yet, um, about working, working with them and distributing our books there. I see that as a, as a possibility. I don't see it as the is the absolute best platform for our, for our books at this time, though, because most of our books are straight straight narrative fiction, nonfiction, minimal images, and um, for those types of books, I, I think the Blio is less interesting. Sure. I think if you're doing picture books, and of course books with um, complex layout, then the Blio is very interesting. And that brings me on to the whole notion of multimedia, because obviously the next step from an electronic book is to say, well, you know, we've got a completely different platform here. You know, do we look at things like speech to text or, you know, incorporation of, of images, um, verbal aspects, etc.? Does it change the whole notion of what a, what a book is? Um, it does change the notion, and there is a lot of talk and a lot of hype around that, um, but based on the initial data that I've seen, and I was just at a conference last week where, where um, the, the book industry study group here in the United States released some data, and what they found is that, um, I mean, basically what they concluded is that people in the publishing industry are more excited about the future of rich media books than readers are. Readers, at least currently, and of course this may change, but currently what readers really care the most about is getting access to, to great books at low cost. Um, there are certain types of books that probably will not convey well in some of these rich media experiences. For example, novels. And, you know, of course, novels account for probably close to 70% of all book sales through bookstores. A novel is really just words on paper or words on a screen and the story, the sights, the sounds, the smells, the story happens, unfolds in the reader's mind. So for most novels, I don't see these rich media um, books being of, 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 of a lot of interest yet to most readers. Because you can make things happen in your imagination that are richer than any video that you could watch or any sound that you could listen to. That's one of the beauties of fiction. Yeah, that's a good point. For, for nonfiction, however, um, I think there's a lot of exciting opportunity there. Let's say you're an author of cookbooks. Well, wouldn't it be great if, um, you know, on the chapter, if you're making a souffle, that you can click on a link and watch a video of, you know, how to mix the ingredients together. I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Or, you know, educational materials. Or a book on, you know, how to grow tomatoes. You know, a lot, a lot of interesting possibilities there. One, one consideration and one concern that, that authors and publishers need to uh, think about when they're approaching rich media books is the cost of production. If, if it's going to cost you, um, you know, thousands of dollars or thousands of euros to to uh, 
to produce the book, you've, you've got to seriously consider whether or not it makes sense for your entire list. Mm, yeah, that's a good point as well. And I think a lot of people think of an ebook as something that's quite cheap to produce. But of course, the only thing that's cheaper is the publishing, the actual um, printing costs that you lose out on. I mean, still, you know, the, all of the other inputs remain the same. The editing costs are similar, etc. Right. For a publisher, the editing costs are the same, whether it's print or ebook. The, the cost to acquire the book, um, you know, a lot of the, the costs to market it. <clears throat> But where the ebook is cheaper, obviously, is you know on the distribution side. Yes. No paper. You don't have. Um, you don't have to. The publisher doesn't have to contend with inventory, printing costs, shipping costs, uh, returns. There are no returns with ebooks. So, so ebooks have been around for yonks. I mean, you know, they're just nicely formatted files, after all. Really, at the end of the day. Um, but I feel the change in the air. I feel like, you know, from everything I've read and heard and, you know, even in my own reading habits, something is happening and it's happening now. Why do you think that is? Why now? What makes this moment in time different from, you know, the last six or seven years when e-books were around and not taking off? Well, it's a great question. You know, ten years ago, there was a lot of hype surrounding e-books and you had a lot of e-book reading devices introduced and e-book formats invented and, um, ebooks turned out to be a big flop then. And the problem then is that you didn't have all the ingredients in place um, for ebooks to become a commercial success. The initial impression that ebooks made on, on, early, on early adopters was a very poor impression. The, the, screen, the screens were low quality, so you know, they didn't look so well. The, um, the books were overpriced. The books were uh, Saddled with complicated um, copy protection schemes that limited the ability of the reader to enjoy the book or to move the book from one device to another. Um, the selection was limited, so they just the ingredients weren't in place. But when you um, when you fast forward to today, or at least to the last few years here, um, everything has come into place. This. The, the screen technology has improved dramatically. So it, it is now pleasing to the eye to read an ebook on a screen, whether that screen is your personal computer or your smartphone or a dedicated e-reading device. Um, it's interesting to note that about half of all ebook reading today is still taking place on computer screens. Um, so that's, that's one of the factors driving, driving this. Um, and obviously, to to have you know some of the largest um, ebook retailers in the world or book retailers in the world aggressively pushing ebooks and promoting um, Apple with the iPhone and soon the iPad and Barnes and Noble with the Nook and you know Cooler in the UK. There there are just dozens of new ebook reading devices coming on the market. So you've got all these consumer electronics companies promoting their devices. You've got book retailers promoting their devices. And um, it's really inescapable if you're a reader. You're now getting exposed to these. And the unsung hero, I think, on the device side, um, that a lot of people don't talk about so much, is really the cell phone. 
the, the, the screens on cell phones have improved so much that um, ebook reading on cell phones is now a pleasurable experience. And so millions of, of readers around the world are now discovering ebooks for the first time on their cell phones. And I think that's where most of the growth will be coming you know, over the next five years or so. We're going to have hundreds of millions of ebook ready cell phones around the globe, possibly billions of ebook ready, ready cell phones. So do you think, what's your prediction? Do you think larger screens or uh, better ink or some combination of, of e-ink screens and, and larger screens or projections? Um, like some predictions we can things. hold you to. <laughs> um, it, it will be a combination of, 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 of things. It, it won't just be e-ink. Um, it'll be, you know, regular displays. Um, there are new, these newfangled organic LED displays. Um, it's it's really a given that, that that display technology is going to improve improve dramatically over the next couple of years um, because there's such a huge market for it. Reading is moving to screens, and it kind of happened when nobody was paying any attention to it. You know, ten years ago, when blogging, for example, first came on the scene, and when newspapers started moving some of their content online. Um, you, have, you heard a lot of people say, oh, well, no, no one's going to want to read content on screens. People prefer paper. Well, screens improved, and the content improved, and um, the accessibility improved, and, and now most of us are reading, reading more, more content on screens than we would have ever imagined and more than we realize. And I suppose children are coming, you know, going to school oh. and their textbooks will be on screens and they'll have netbooks and they won't even consider a hard copy. Definitely. Children are growing up on screens. They're, they're the, the new digital generation. It, it, it's not at all foreign to them. They're not, they're not like <clears throat> some of us in the over 40 age group who, you know, grew up on, on paper. Um, for them, it's, it's not at all foreign that, that, uh, that everything is on a screen. They're very comfortable with it. And, and I suppose this change, I mean, maybe it's just the adaptability of the, the human species, but, um, you know, it's almost hard to remember that it wasn't that long ago that a cell phone was unusual, you know, that we simply didn't have them. Right. Well, I remember when I got my first cell phone, I guess, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, it was a huge brick. And I, I thought it was an amazing device. And now my cell phone is so small, I lose it all the time. Yeah, and I, you know, we just take it as given, don't we? It's just it, right. it is just what we all have. And it's it's um, we're going to see this pace of technological change accelerate. This is, um, this is Ray I'm, Kurzweil's um, singularity, isn't it? Uh, yes, definitely. In fact, I heard him speak last week at the Tools of Change conference. I was blown away by what he was talking about. So, so are we talking about a, a period of time? And I've, I've read his book. I, I love him. Where uh, you know we we don't even have an ebook reader in our pocket. It's just kind of built in. <laughs> Right, built in. And you know, one of the things he was talking about, he, he was actually talking about this rate of technological change. He said, we humans are really 
programmed to think of the future and think of progress and change as a linear event. So slow, steady growth. And he said, what, what, what really happens, though, for certain technologies is that you see exponential growth. And he thinks that's happening with e-books. Mm. So, so the change is happening on many, many fronts. It's happening on major, many, many fronts. And, and you know, today, I, I don't know what the worldwide market share is, but, I, but here in the United States, estimates are that e-books account for anywhere from 3 to 5% of the overall book market. Uh, and growing very quickly, growing close to 200% a year, at least last year was about 175%. What's possible here is that although ebooks are still an insignificant percentage of the overall market, if they continue to grow at this rate, or if that rate accelerates, then we're looking at a scenario where in three or five years, we might have ebooks accounting for half of the book market or maybe more than half, or in 10 years, we're, we're looking at, you know, maybe 90% of book reading done on screens. I don't think anyone in the publishing industry is prepared for that. Hmm. No, that's, that's incredible sort of figures, and uh, Kurzweil is often right, too, so. <laughs> yes. It's uh, quite interesting to track back some of his predictions and see where they are now. Now, you're an author as well. Um, Smash books, um, smash words. Sorry, has probably taken over your life to a certain extent. Um, do you, are you still writing? Um, no, most of my writing is is blogging, and uh, you know I, I blog for the Smashwords blog, and I blog for the Huffington Post, and lots of writing with our authors and publishers. Um, so I, no more novel writing, at least for now. But um, yes, my the. Smashwords was actually inspired by um, the experience that I had with my wife. My wife and I wrote a novel a few years ago um, about about the daytime television soap opera industry. And we shopped it around to agents and got one of the top New York literary agencies um, to represent it. They shopped it around to big New York publishers for two years, and they were un unable to sell it. And... Um, you know, it was actually our agent who suggested that we consider self-publishing. And I thought that was a good idea, but I was also kind of mad that we'd spent thousands of hours writing what we thought was this excellent book, and the publisher was going to stand in the way between us and our audience. And that's how I got the idea for Smashwords. I thought, well, this is crazy. Why don't I, why don't I create an online publishing platform that allows all authors to publish and let the readers decide what, what's worth reading? And so that's what we did. And in the process, my own novel has taken a back seat. So we don't even have it in print yet. And we do want to get it into print because I do believe in print, even though I'm an e-book person. Hmm. I suppose there's, there's something about holding something tangible in your hand. Yeah, well, um, it's nice to have something that's tangible, something that can sit on your shelf. You know, an e-book doesn't sit very neatly on your shelf. Um, it's not this object that you can hold. Um, but it, it's just, you know, I, I, I love, you know, I love books. And um, print books, e-books, they're just different formats for books. So I, I think every author should put 
their book into as many different formats as possible to appeal to as many different Yes, I mean, I suppose, though, uh, one of the things that ebook does raise, one of the questions that it raises, just as MP3 has, is the whole notion of ownership. I mean, can a reader ever really own their ebooks like they might own a tree book? And, and does ownership matter even? Well, that is a good question because with a print book, you purchase it, you own it, you can do anything you want with it, you can give it away. You can give it away to a friend and they can enjoy it, or you can sell it uh, to someone else and then they can enjoy it and then they can sell it to someone else. Ebooks, um, at least currently, are licensed differently. They're sold differently. So when you purchase an ebook today, it's it's you, it's really licensed for your own personal enjoyment. So you, you're not legally allowed to share it with other readers, you're not allowed to resell it. And there's some debate. Well, there's a lot of debate. You know, how 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 do you um, how do you rationalize this? You know, the old way of owning a book and the new way of owning a book, and do you really own the book? And who owns the book? And who controls it? Um, it'll be interesting to see how that all works out. Yes, because I suppose to a certain extent, you never really owned a hard copy book either. You only owned a facsimile, if you like. I mean, you, you know, you still couldn't photocopy it or take those words and do anything else with them other than the context in which they're presented to you. So, yeah, the, definitely, there were some restrictions on that on that content. You know, just like today, if you purchase an automobile, you're not allowed to uh, re-engineer and copy that auto automobile and make your own car. Mm. <clears throat> But it does, it does certainly example. make it certainly makes those ownership questions more um, more obvious. I think you know a lot of people do right. things with their files that they're not legally allowed to do. It's quite commonplace to you know say, oh, I've got this great book. Here you go. Why don't you have a read of it? Which right. may be perfectly all right, but I don't think it's legal. <laughs> so you know our approach at Smashwords is that if a customer purchases a book, they should be able to own it within those limitations. So. Um, they should be able to own that book for life. They should be able to read it on any ebook reading device that they want. Um, they should be able to access it today and access it tomorrow and access it as many times as they want. Um, but they shouldn't be allowed to share it with their friends or you know, give it away to somebody or resell it. Mm. Although I loan my hard copy books all the time. <laughs> oh, I don't share yeah. out files, but I do. Uh, you know, I'm quite happy to really hand out books left, right, and center to all my friends. Well, that's okay with a print book. Mm. So and there, are actually, there are actually some, some things going on, like with the, some situations where um, e-book sharing is allowed. Barnes & Noble, for example, enables or allows e-book sharing for some of their books. So you can purchase a book, it's in your virtual library, and you can check it out and give it give it away to someone else for them to read and enjoy, and then it comes back to you after a certain period of time. So that, that's another interesting approach. Yes, and, and maybe a model for libraries as well, but uh, that's such a big area. I won't raise it today because <laughs> mm -hmm. we're out of time, but I, I'd love to talk to you again at, at some point in the future and uh, you know keep an eye on how things progress and change. 
Sure, anytime. So um, thank you very much, Mark. And uh, to visit Smashwords, it's just www.smashwords.com. And it's well worth a visit. All right, thank you, Maggie. Thanks very much. Now, our next guest is an open call in session. So uh, we'll be inviting you, the listener, to phone in and chat to me and my writing partner, Carolyn Howard Johnson, about poetry. So we'll be talking about poetry in its broadest context, including things like promotion, performance, and a lot more. So do join us. Thanks very much. Thanks again, Mark. Bye-bye. Thanks, Dougie. Bye. -bye. Thanks,